If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Thank you, uh, worship team, band, uh, for leading us so well um, in uh, worship today. Uh, the title of the message is uh, Living with the Spirit's Power. Living with the Spirit's power. And previously, in the last two weeks, we've uh, been in this series where we've learned who the Holy Spirit is. He's God. He's a person. He's our teacher and helper. Last week, we learned about his indwelling, his baptism, and then we learned uh, of, of his filling. Uh, so today, uh, we're continuing on this journey and discovering what life is like when we're living with the Spirit what life is like when we're living with him. And what we'll do is, uh, this is a, a pure uh, exegetical sermon. And and uh, I preach different styles of sermons, but uh, exegesis is, it, it literally means uh, exhibition. It comes from, uh, we get our word exhibition from there is where you just display all of the parts. You've heard me describe it in, in a way where when we read a passage, we just kind of draw out its meaning, like drawing water out of a, a, out of a well. And that's what it means to exegete scripture. It's one of my favorite things to do because we can get to the root of the matter and learn about what, what it really saying and then allow the Holy Spirit to apply it to our, to our lives. It's a powerful way to do that. And so that's what we're going to do today. And uh, what I want us to see, uh, we're going to see Paul talk about a contrast of life with the Spirit and life without the Spirit, or life walking with and then one not walking with. So we're going to pray and uh, ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in in this, and then we'll uh, read in Galatians uh, chapter 5. I'm going to ask you one more time, to stand in the honor of reading of God's word, and uh, then I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll uh, get going. So, Lord, uh, we need you now. I need you now to uh, guide us through your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, speak to us, lead us, empower us. And Lord, I empty myself and I ask for you to fill me to overflowing as I speak your word today. Now, Lord, I've done the preparation, but Lord, I yield all of it to you. All of it. And let me be a conduit in which you deliver your word to your people. Holy Spirit, have your way. We'll be sensitive to what you say to us. I pray that all of us would be eager to obey you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 16. We're going to go all the way through verse 26. How about that? So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Now, some translations, your translation might say, I say walk in the Spirit, okay? And we'll kind of talk about that in a little bit. But he's talking about uh, let the Holy Spirit habitually, that's the context, guide your lives. Then, if you do, you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires, that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other 
So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'll tell you what that means later on in the message. Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in some parts of our lives. So what it says? Every part of our lives. Let us not be conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. We're all born into a sin nature that governs the flesh. Now the flesh, we've just that is the soul. Soul, remember we talked about it before. What are the th- things that make up the soul? The mind, the will, the emotions, the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's everything that, that, uh, when we're born, it's everything that drives us. We make decisions on the soul. And we're born, it's a, called the flesh nature, born in the flesh. We're making decisions on our own. But we're under a sin nature. It's a sin government. That's what I want to, that's how I want to describe it today. It's a sin government that we're born into. And this government, of sin is leading its people into sin, death, and ultimate separation from God. That's what a sin nature, a sin government that we're all born into is doing. When we're born again, what happens is we're born into a new nation. We are born into the sin nation, but when we're born again, we're born into a new nation with a new government and a new constitution. Everybody follow me? Okay. So sin, when we're born into a new government, sin no longer is the governor of the flesh nature. Okay? It's no longer the governor. The Holy Spirit is the governor. He's the ruler of this new nation. So the Holy Spirit comes in with a different way of doing things and the flesh nature who's been in the sin government their entire life, our entire life, we've been there. When, when the Holy, when we're born into a new government, see the flesh nature says, we ain't never done it that way before, Holy Spirit. 
See, your flesh nature, your soul is accustomed to sin, to sinful responses, to sinful desires, to uh, sinful attitudes. That's what we're accustomed to. And on top of that, Satan then is constantly lying to you, trying to undermine and defraud and cast doubt on the government of the kingdom of God, the one in which you now live. And he's trying to convince you that you don't need to continue to operate there. You need to continue to operate according to the flesh under sin's control. Now, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, the rule of sin has no legal right to govern you. Has no legal right because you're born again. And it won't unless you allow it to. So if you've been born again and you're in the kingdom of God and you want to live with the full benefit of the spirit's power and governance in your life, here's number one. If you're taking notes, if you want to live with the spirit's power in his kingdom, we must walk in the spirit. You must walk in the spirit. I want you to look back at Galatians 5.16. So I say, let the spirit guide your lives. And like I said, translation says, walk in the spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. Okay. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Now, a few things. So that phrase, let the spirit guide your lives or walk in the spirit, okay? We take that word, that phrase, it means to walk around in a complete circuit, which intensifies, all right? So in other words, to go full circle, to walk in the spirit is you're, you're, you're taking in all of the spirit has and you're intensifying as you're taking it all in. That's the definition. See, it's that you let all of the Spirit continually take over every aspect of your life. And if you do, your life in the Spirit will be intensifying. There is not a believer that's truly a believer and walking in the Spirit that is the same today as they were a year ago. You don't stay the same. If you're walking in the Spirit, there's movement in your life. There's a movement there. We have this dilemma. All of us have this dilemma. Our soul, our flesh, is in a civil war with the spirit. We're in a civil war. But now, see, you have a polarity of heart change. Remember us talking about that a couple of weeks ago, that polarity change when you're born again? And see, now you're walking in a different direction. See, we're walking uh, in the spirit. So there's a change there. But the flesh nature, so if this is walking in the spirit in this direction, and this is the flesh nature here, we're walking here, but the flesh nature keeps wanting to pull you into the other direction. He wants to do that. You're walking in the spirit, but he's trying to pull you in the other direction. Satan is trying to lure you, but the Holy Spirit is saying to you, no, this is the way, walk this way. 
walk this way. Now, if you're not submitted to the prompting of the Spirit, if you're not walking in the Spirit, then where, where are you walking? You're walking in the, in the flesh. You're walking in the flesh. Now, this myth that we can live with sometimes, we can think, when we get saved, that means uh, that we're by default walking with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will just do His thing over time and, and eventually take over with His gravitational pull and sanctify us, and we will just keep living our lives normal until He does. See, we can think that way. There's nothing that we, we were saved, he's going to take over, and here we go. Now, if we believe that myth, what happens often is we get saved, and we get automatically put into this civil war, and we try to follow the rules of the new government and look like everyone else externally, but we're still being governed by the sin nature. We're allowing ourselves to be governed by the sin nature. And before you know it, you're living life in the wrong direction. But because you've had a, a polarity change, because you were born again, if you're going in this direction and you're born again, you'll be unsatisfied and your life is in conflict. Why? How could that be? You want to know why? Because of your heart change, you'll know in your knower that you're walking against the will of God. The indwelling Holy Spirit does that. You'll know that you're walking against the will of God. What's that called when we know, when the Holy Spirit lets us know, hey, you're walking against the will of God? What's that called? It's conviction. Conviction by the Holy Spirit will always be for you to turn around and go in the other direction. Repentance. He'll always lead to repentance. The truth is, Walking with the Spirit, letting Him control you and teach you His ways of a new governing system, it's the only way, it's the only way you ever find satisfaction and freedom and fulfillment in your relationship with God. That's the only way. That's the only way. When you're walking in the flesh, the only way to even act Christ-like, and notice I just say to act, not even to be, but to act Christ-like is to put all these external governing laws around you to try to tame your flesh nature. But guess what? It never works. That never works. It never works. You cannot tame the flesh. Uh, I call this, this is my definition, modified behavior Christianity. That's what I call it. Where we try to straighten up and change our behavior from the outside in using rules, external rules, instead of being transformed and controlled from the inside out by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 1 through 7 speaks of this. Listen to this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Praise God, by the way. And because you belong to him, because you're in this new government, the life, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sin nature. 
Okay, so God did what the law could not do, and he sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law will be fully satisfied in us. We no longer now follow our sinful nature, but instead we follow the spirit. You follow the spirit, you're going to be Christ-like. In other words, we don't become disciples or grow in our Christ-likeness by forcing ourselves to adhere to a set of rules and practices. Instead, we become true disciples of Jesus when we submit to the Holy Spirit and allow him to transform and take over the flesh by putting us within us the mind of Christ. Listen to me. Your religious, pious acts do not equal your Christ-likeness. The mind of Christ in you equals your Christ-likeness. Now I want you to go back to Galatians. Verse 17, 517. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. By the way, they're like, what's the good intentions? The good intentions... When there is a polarity heart change in you, the Holy Spirit puts in you, you want to do at some level, you want to do, you want to please the Lord. That's the good intention. I want to please God. So you could say it this way, that passage, being a believer, if you're a believer and you're walking in the flesh, it will stunt and stifle your maturity as a believer. See, do you ever feel like as you're, you're just caught in the middle with this dance, uh, a little bit here in the spirit. Yes, I'm hearing from you. Oh, and then I'll, I'll operate in the flesh. Oh, and then a little spirit. And then a little, do you ever feel like sometimes you're just in the middle? You're just, you're just doing this song and dance, but you really, you don't get anywhere. Do you just feel like you're just surviving in this Christian tug of war instead of thriving and picking up intensity on your walk? That's because remember, that's what he means by walking in the spirit. It's taking in the fullness and walking with intensity. It's picking up speed. But often we don't feel that way. That's not our experience. Your intensifying walk with the Lord all becomes a matter of choice to put to death your old ways and by faith start yielding to and obeying the Holy Spirit. How? How would we do that? This is just practical. This is just me. But my suggestion is start making yourself available to him moment by moment, situation by situation, decision by decision. Make yourself available. Let me give you an example. Um, There was a, there's been a situation recently where I I have felt that one of my children in something that they're involved in um, had been um, discounted and uh, that others that were involved were um, un- had unmerited favor put on them. Okay, so I felt my kid is being slighted here. And um, it really, uh, you know, as I talked it through, I was like, no, it's not that way. It's okay. But as the days and weeks kind of went by, I just realized I was really struggling with this idea. I was really struggling with it. And so uh, earlier in the week, 
I, I had to just sit down with the Lord and said, you know, Lord, I, I'm struggling with something that's it's kind of eating me up. It ain't even bothering my kid. It's bothering me. What's this thing going on? What's really going on? And I'm like, I need you to show me so that I know how to deal with it. And so I took out this piece of paper. I, I threw it away, but then I pulled it out because I wanted to use it today. I just want to show you how I, I just, I, I, I went to my desk and I just wrote this at the top. I wrote, God, how should I manage felt injustice? I felt like things were being just. And I said, and, and unmerited favoritism toward others. I just wrote out how I was feeling to the Lord. And then I, I just, just paused for a little bit and I just began to pray. And I thought, well, what's the root? So I wrote, what's the root? And I asked the Lord, Lord, what's the root here? Why am I feeling this way? Well, I didn't like his answer, but I wrote it down. The root, Daniel, was your pride. So I wrote pride. And then he's, then selfish ambition and wounds from my past. I felt like the Lord was speaking. I mean, he was saying, Daniel, this is a pride issue. It's just, it ain't bothering them. This is bothering you. And it's out of wounds from your past. You're seeing it through the wrong lens. You're not seeing it out of healing. You're seeing it out of wounds. So then I wrote, what's the cure? And I just asked, Lord, Lord, what's the cure for this? And this is what came to mind. So I wrote down, identity in Christ. It's your identity in Christ, son, that you're dealing with. The cure is humility. The cure is know that I, I put God's plan and I had to think God has a plan for my kids. He knows right where they are. He knows right where he wants them. And I have a plan. Trust me with this plan. Okay. And then the other was healing. I needed healing in this area. The other thing I, I wrote down over here in the margin is realization that I've done it too. You know, there's, I tell you, it, it'll quickly stifle sometimes your righteous judgment when you, when the Holy Spirit reveals to you, you know what, you've done the same thing to other people. You didn't mean to, but you've done it. So then that, so then, so then my next question was, well, how do I communicate? How do I act out of this? All right, if I know the roots me, and if I know what the cure is, then how do I communicate? How now do I act out of this? And the things that I wrote down were compassion, no jabs. Don't, don't put in a jab in your conversations. I could have. And love. Love. And then I wrote this on the bottom. I don't know if this is me or the Lord, but I wrote, complaining won't change it or, or satisfy me. Or and, and that it will push people away. And the person that I would complain to wouldn't get it anyway. Now, you ought to know by now that the Holy Spirit doesn't let me preach and teach something unless the sermon's to me first. And unless I allow the Holy Spirit to guide my life and change my mind. See, you know what this did, this exercise did? is my mindset had to change through this process. 
where the Holy Spirit just started to work on me. And guess what the first thing he revealed was? He revealed me. He revealed the root of my sin. And he had to do a work of a changing in my mind. If he doesn't, see, if he would not have done this, I would have managed this situation in the flesh and potentially damaged my witness with the person I was offended by. Now, here's what I want to pick up as I continue to read. Paul, as I've read through Paul's letters here, Paul does not see walking with the Spirit for a believer as optional. He talks about it as if it's mandatory. It's mandatory. Living with the Spirit's power is the only way the Christian life can be lived and God be glorified. You can try to live the Christian life another way and God not be glorified. Here's number two. Our flesh nature abhors a vacuum. I love that. I love that point. It abhors a vacuum. Let me tell you what I mean. Look at verse 19 through 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear, he says. Very clear. Sexual immorality, which is, includes adultery, fornication, impurity, uncleanliness, lustful pleasures. Okay, that includes lewdness. Now, by the way, lustful pleasures isn't just talking about sexual lust. It's talking, we can lust about anything. Anything that we need right now to fulfill something right now, that's we can have lust over that, okay? Um, and then there's idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, had that, dissension, division, envy, had that, D- drunkenness and wild parties, and other sins like these. You know what that lets me know? This list isn't exhaustive. It's not exhaustive, all right? But in other words, the emptiness of our sin nature and its desire for control will always look for something or someone to fill the void. And it will fill it, the flesh nature will fill it with sin. We're not walking in the spirit, we're walking in the flesh. The flesh nature will fill it. The voids in our lives, the brokenness and the hurt in our lives, we will fill it with sin. Um, Unless we're living in the spirit's power in our lives, we'll always have this longing to fill the void with a counterfeit, with a counterfeit. Uh, And this battle of the flesh and the spirit exists in every believer. Now, if we look at these, uh, if we look at those, what he, he described here is walking in the flesh, we can see four broad categories, okay? There are the sensual sins, uh, the sexual immorality, the impurity, lustful pleasures. There are the, what I'm calling spiritual sins, the idolatry, sorcery, witchcraft, sins against others, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, divi- division, envy, and then social sins, drunkenness, wild parties. Now, at first glance, we might look at this list and we're like, I'm in the clear. I'm okay. I'm pretty good for the most part. Or are we? Or are we? See, remember who's Paul talking to here in this? Who, who is he talking to? Believers or non-believers? Believers. 
Okay. All right. Now I want to take, I want to talk a second in nature of these sins. The sexual sins, sexual immorality, which include adultery and fornication. I believe we all understand the correct meaning of those terms. The message, uh, reading the message translation, by the way, on those few, it, it says, uh, it, it describes them as repetitive, loveless, cheap sexual acts. That's how it describes it. Impurity in this section um, is, I mean, simple, the opposite of pure. Uh, it would cover sensual sins such as pornography, impurity of the mind, impure speech, or suggestive speaking filled with double meanings. Have you ever been in a conversation and there's been something said and it meant something, you knew it meant something, not exactly what they said, but it was an innuendo to something crude? There you go. Uh, lustful pleasures holds the context of impulsiveness. You know, we see lustful pleasures can, it can, that can cover anything, but it's, it's this impulsiveness that we must have it. I must do something to feel this. I must do, I must say something. I must be, no, I must have that car. I must have that house. I must have that. I must have the money. I must have the status. I must be understood. This impulsiveness. Any of those can be of lustful pleasures. Speaks to someone, according to the definition here, of someone who flaunts their immorality. A frenzied or joyless, joyless grab for happiness. You're just trying to search in something. You throw off all restraint. You have no sense of shame, propriety, no embarrassment, a disregard of moral conduct. Then there are their spiritual religious sins. Idolatry. Here's my definition of idolatry. You're like, I don't have trinkets. I don't bend down. I don't worship an idol. I don't do any of those things that, that the Israelites did. Okay, but what you can say idolatry is, it depends on anyone or anything else other than God to fulfill the desires and meet your needs. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. Now, let me just say, idolatry was Israel's number one sin. Scripture tells us that. But it is also our number one sin. Do you know who we idolize the most often? Ourselves. We dethrone God off of our lives and we put ourselves there. Okay. Then there's sorcery and witchcraft. That is uh, is the worship or per, of or participation in the occult and spiritual powers apart from the true God, such as fortune telling, horoscopes, New Age meditation to find your inner self or your inner power. How much of that is spread all over our culture? See, here's the here's the scary thing. The scary thing is this, especially around this time of year. It's everywhere. And it's it and it's it's hidden, see, as fun. But before we know it, we can be exposed and participating in. The Greek word for this sorcery witchcraft is it's the word that we get our, our word uh pharmacy from. Uh and it would refer to the use of drugs or or potions which are always associated with the occult, by the way. Drug use, those kinds of things, um, that, that comes out of that effect of that, that demonic spirit. Um, and it can lead into those things. 
Sin against others uh, would be, uh, here they are, hostility. Now, I want you to listen to this. Hostility, also translated hatred, this is an attitude of the heart and an inward motivation for the ill treatment of others, such as contentiousness, meaning you're just, you just stirring it up, causing arguments all the time, you want to get in the fight, and outbursts of anger. Someone does something to you, boom, an outburst. You can't control yourself. That's hostility. Um, no law can answer the problem of hatred. Did you know that? No law can answer the problem of hatred, which motivates those kinds of acts. Hate and hostility can cause a person to do some incredibly evil things. Okay. Then there's quarreling, contentions. Most commonly, that is translated as strife and simply speaks to a combative and argumentative spirit. Okay. Then there's jealousy, the desire to have what someone else has for has a wrong desire for what is not for us. Um, and then there's outbursts of anger, uh, a sudden flash of anger. Not it's not a settled state of anger. It's an out it's an outburst, meaning you lose your temper. Selfish ambition means the ambition which has no conception of service, conception there, and whose only aim is to profit and power. In other words, so uh, your selfish ambition, you're thinking, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for my kids? What's in it for my business? What's in it for me? Then there's dissension. Now, this I found this very interesting. Dissension literally means standing apart. That's what it means. Or, or divisions, um, where members fly apart instead of coming together. So it, it's, it's you're standing apart, uh, causing dissension. Um, then there's divisions, and dissension and divisions go hand in hand. Uh, divisions, the, the word there is heresies. All right. Now, when we think of heresies, we think of someone who just, uh, we, well, let me tell you what it means. Uh, it means to choose and came to mean someone who divisively expresses their choices or opinions. See, we think of heresies as wrong ideas or teachings. That's what we ascribe, and it can. But the emphasis in this word here on this passage is actually the wrongly dividing over opinions. Isn't that interesting? The wrongly dividing over opinions. And I got to thinking about that. We know what the truth of the word of God is. We know truth. If we're reading and living by the truth, there's no division there. There's no dissension there. Only in our opinions can we have dissension and division. Uh, Here's how you could say this. There's a difference between believing that we are right and believing that everybody else is wrong. You follow me? Then there's envy, being bitter because someone else has something and we don't. And then there's murders, which means to kill as work of the flesh. Now, the Bible specifically uh, separates uh, wartime and doing 
that and then murder out of hate and murder uh, out of uh, intentionally bringing harm to someone else. Then there are the social sins, public sins, drunkenness, wild parties. Um, and that just means unrestrained. You're unrestrained. Uh, and you've lowered yourself so much that you're a nuisance to others. But then he makes this clarifying statement. Okay, so he goes through all that and then he makes this clarifying statement, Galatians 5.21. He says, now let me tell you again, as I've told you before. So obviously he's, he's talked about this before to them. He says, I just want to remind you, I want to tell you again what I've told you before. Living that sort of life, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, now, so what does that mean? Because we're all guilty, right? Because of our flesh nature, at some point, we'll be subject to fall in one or more of those things. Okay? No one is exempt. We're going to sin. So what does it mean when he says, uh, when you're anyone living that sort of life? What Paul is saying there is if you have a regular lifestyle of living and walking in the flesh, if you have a regular lifestyle of those things then you are in total rebellion against God and his kingdom. And Paul is saying then, if you're regularly walking there, there really hasn't been a polarity of heart change. You're really not saved. You're really not. Now that's, that's strong of Paul to say. It's striking and sounds rigid and harsh, but it's the truth. Not only does Paul say it here, but he says it in other places too. Now, let me confirm this truth. 1 John 3, 5 says, And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone, look at this, who continues to live in him will not sin, meaning habitually sin and practice it, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. Martin Luther said it this way, Christians also fall and perform the lust of the flesh. David fell horribly into adultery. Peter also fell grievously when he denied Christ. However great these sins were, they were not committed to spite God, but from weaknesses. When their sins were brought to their attention, these men did not obstinately continue in their sin, but what did they do? They repented. Those who sin through weakness are not denied pardon as long as they rise again and cease to sin. There is nothing worse than to continue in sin. If they do not repent, but obstinately continue to fulfill the desires of the flesh, it is a sure sign that they are not sincere. Now, in case you need more proof, Matthew 7, 21 says, not everyone who calls to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Now, that was a Debbie Downer of a list, wasn't it? Right? Now, let's get to the fruit really quick. Here's verb number three, if you're taking notes. Here it is. When we're living with the Spirit's power... The Spirit produces fruit. Galatians 5.22 says, Holy Spirit produces kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now, I didn't learn that with a song. Some of you, how many of you learned that with a song? Fruit of the Spirit song. I never did. We were too poor to know, you know, we were too poor to sing, to have that song. So I just had to learn it. Um, now, the fruit of the Spirit 
The fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, let's pray, are different than the gifts of the Spirit. Do you know that? Fruit of the Spirit is different than the gift. Now, the fruit of the Spirit are produced in your life by the Holy Spirit working in and through your life continually, okay? And intensifying in your life. You're walking with the Lord. He's going to produce fruit. Now, notice I didn't say you produce fruit. You can't produce fruit. He produces fruit through you. Now, let's examine the fruit closely. You're going to love this. Love, he talks about. Now, there's different forms of love in Scripture. What love is he referring to here? Do you know? A God love, which is what? An agape love. An agapeo kind of love. Right. It's a love that yields. It's a love that knows no bounds. It's a love of God, and it can only come from God and the work of the Holy Spirit in you. You cannot possess this love on your own. You and I have a—we can have—there's uh, an heiress love, right? The love that uh, we share when uh, when you're in love. And uh, then there is a Philadelphia love, which is a brotherly love, and that's the love that you and I can have for one another because of common interests. So, uh, there, but this love—and I think there's, there's others, but uh, it's an agape love. It's a love that will take over the will. That's what that love does. And it is a, it is a love that, that helps you love somebody that you don't like or people that aren't easy to love. Then there's joy. Uh, and that's not just a thrill or an excitement of an experience. Okay. We can have an experience and it's like, oh, that's, a, that's a thrill. That's a joy. That's a joy. But it is an embodying joy that doesn't come from earthly things. This is a joy that, that the, that the world can't buy. Um, then there's peace. Okay. Now, peace is not just freedom from trouble. Okay. But it's the tranquility that God brings to the heart in spite of trouble, in the midst of trouble. It's a peace that passes understanding we see in Philippians 4, 7. Then there's patience, long-suffering, meaning you can have love, joy, peace over a period of time when people and events annoy you. You can be long-suffering. Romans 2, 4, 9, 22 reminds us that God is not quick to get irritated with us. He's long-suffering with us. And then we could be long-suffering with others. Kindness and goodness, thoughtful actions or words toward each other with no regard to self-gain. Goodness brings with it the idea of generosity, and both are motivated by love. Kindness and goodness. Then there's faithfulness. It's the characteristic of a man who is reliable in actions and words. And also, it's it's someone who is faithful, uh, has a measure of faithfulness, to the Lord. Gentleness, being teachable, have not having a superior attitude, not demanding one's rights. Uh, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean timidity or passiveness. Okay. Just because somebody has a gentleness about them doesn't mean they're timid or passive. Okay. And then there's self-control. Self-control from the Spirit will not only benefit the self, but it will also work on behalf of others. Now, here's what I want you to notice, and I'm almost done. Here's what I want you to notice. Notice how the desires of the sin nature, all the things that we mentioned, 
are a counterfeit or a complete opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. Do you notice that? Let me point out to you. Love is God's way. Lust is the counterfeit of love. You follow me? Joy and peace only come from God and completely satisfy. Joy and peace. Idolatry and sorcery and witchcraft are attempts to find happiness and serenity and give us false security and hope. You follow that, don't you? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness is how we love others God's way with the love of God. The opposite, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy is our fleshly attempt to satisfy a lack of love within ourselves. Did you ever notice that? Self-control is a life lived under God's authority and rule. Drunkenness and self-destruction is a life lived under our own rule. Now, one final warning. And I love how Paul puts this in there. Galatians 5.25. Here it is in the message. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or in a, as a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its in, implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. Now, in the New Living Translation, the one I typically read out of, the, the one that I read Originally, it says, don't let us become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. All right. Now, because of our proclivity to sin, it's easy for us to become conceited in our walk with the Spirit. In our walk in the Spirit. It's easy to do that. Uh, I've seen that happen time after time, and I've been there. Okay. Uh, because here's what happens. We sense then that we're, we sense the spirit working and moving in our lives. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing to sense that and, and to be aware. But what happens is we can get spiritually conceited and we then can think, well, we're almost always right and everybody else is wrong. Now that's contention, right? Now that often happens gradually over time. We don't mean it. We don't mean it but it can gradually happen over time. And Paul warns us, he says, don't do that. Don't be that way. Because if you do, it will be a source of conflict and envy and strife among you. It will be a provoking thing among you. It's almost like the pendulum swing. The pendulum all in the other direction. And you think, well, how can this be? It's the fruit of the Spirit. How can that be wrong, walking in the Spirit? Oh, but don't forget, there's old fleshy poo over here. <laughs> just wanting to be fed. It wants to be fed. And here's how that happens. Before we know it, we'll start to idolize the fruit of the Spirit instead of the fruit giver. He starts working in our lives. We start seeing His work. What we do then, see, it's our proclivity every time. We'll start idolizing the fruit and putting that on the pedestal and following that. We begin to value the gift more than the gift giver. First Peter 5, 5 says, and, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, 
but he gives grace to the humble. And this is a self-examination for all of us. A life that begins living in the Spirit's power has not arrived at its chief end, but instead has approached the gateway to the life that God has always intended for you to start living.